Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Yeah. First Sunday of 2023. Everybody ready? Yeah, everybody's ready for a new year. So the people who didn't stay up last night is doing all that. All right. Jeez. I keep asking everybody, what'd you do? What'd you do? Nobody did anything. Anybody do anything? Anybody stay up to midnight last night besides me? All right. The mayor, of course the mayors did. All right. Anybody else do it? All right. There you go. Wendy did. A few people did. Yeah. All right. Hopefully you did it responsibly. I was watching some college football, so I was, I was okay, I think. <laughs> That's right. Everybody who did something is maybe watching online. I hope you're watching online if you're with us this morning and you stayed up late last night or got into a few things. So thank you for being here wherever you are, whether you're in person or online. If you're in person and need a little pick-me-up and get me going this morning, make sure you check out the coffee and the hot chocolate and the things running in the cafe. Don't miss out on that. We have a whole load of people who are out sick, so I want to hopefully they're online with us today. And as you're jumping on, make sure you let us know whether you're new here or not. We want to welcome you more formally. Miss Dawn in the back, she's doing double duty. She'll give you a little welcome in person and online, so make sure you let her know you're there so we can welcome you as you're jumping on with us today. We also have a few things as we do every week for Faith Kids. So if you have kids in your household and you love for them to be a part of our faith experience, they can do that one of two ways, either downstairs in our Faith Kids experience with our teachers. They have an awesome small group time and videos and music and all that fun stuff. Or online, there's a Faith Kids experience there for you as well. If you miss a week or you have to go on vacation or you're out of town or whatever happens, you can do it there at any time, not just Sunday morning, but all week long so you don't have to miss anything. You can keep up with what they're doing downstairs when you're at home and then jump back in when you're back in with us. We'd love for you to do that uh, for not just your kids, but your whole family. It'd be really great, okay? Uh, a few other things I want to highlight coming up in Faith this next week or two. One is all next week, all right? So anytime you can devote to this will be really appreciated. But you see all these beautiful Christmas decorations. Weren't they great? Everybody did such a good job on these. Now they all have to come down, all right? So this week is all about taking things down and rearranging some things for the new year. And so if you have any time to donate towards taking down decorations, we'd love for you to help out with that. It can be any time between Monday through Saturday, really. Saturday's the last day, obviously, to kind of get them wrapped up. And so uh, if you could do that for us, that would be great. Just uh, message the church, faithchurchvt at gmail.com, or get up on the message groups if you're within our church. Just some way, find some way to say, hey, I'll come and take a few things down and just step in and let us know. And that way we can get this all uh, taken care of by next Sunday morning when we jump into a couple of new things. All right. So next Sunday, while it's technically not the first Sunday of the year, it's going to be the first Sunday of our new faith year. And so we're going to kick off a couple of new initiatives. One is a new message series we're calling Identity Crisis, Discovering Who You're Really Made to Be. That's going to be about a four-week series there. And then we're also starting Faith Life Goals for 2023, all right? So if you missed Life Goals for 2022, guess what? you got a whole new year to start. And we'll explain a little more detail about what Life Goals are if you missed those last year. But it's a great opportunity to set some goals month by month and accomplish some things in your life that maybe you wouldn't do otherwise and have a bunch of people rallying around you, making it possible, holding you accountable, but encouraging you to do it each and every single week we're gathered here together. Last year, we had a few people win some prizes off of those. I think John and Jen got some uh, Red Sox gift cards, and then I just got a free little vest out of that, too. A little bonus thing for that it was really cool. And then uh, some spas. Where Nick and Chris got a spa prize, and then I think the last one was... Uh, 
um, skiing. Right? I think we get some skiing gift cards giving away too. So a whole bunch of fun stuff that we did for last year. We encourage you to do it and we'll tell all about how to do it next week. But just know that next week is our big, big kickoff for the 2023. So if you're ready to jump into something new, that's the week to jump in. But this week, we're excited to have you here uh, for a couple of reasons. One, before we get into the message this morning, that I love to offer you the opportunity to be able to do two things. One, receive, and two, give. So if you're in need this year, and we know, as all of us are, you get to after Christmas and you start looking at the budget, and it's like, holy smokes, where did all our money go? Uh, and you start looking at the credit card bill, and you're like, okay, that's where it all went, and you realize it didn't all add up eventually, right? And so maybe you get to the end of the month, and here we are, January 1st, and you realize tomorrow I'm going to get some bills that i got to pay, and I'm not going to be able to pay them. And so we encourage you, if you're at that moment of crisis, and like, I just don't know what I'm going to do, I can't max out the card any more than it's maxed, but you need some help, let us know. Go to faithchurchvt.com and scroll down to the bottom. You'll see all our contact info. We want to help you where you're at, okay? We want to bless you wherever your need is to be able to help you there. So make sure you're contacting us whenever you can, however you feel like it, and we'll get back with you and see what we can do to work with you on whatever it is you got going on to get you over the hump uh, this new year, to start off 2023 in the right way. So make sure you know that's available for you. If you love to give, all right, and they say, hey man, I know I'm, I'm maxed out, but I'm going to give sacrificially uh, this year. I've made a resolution to sacrificially give above and beyond, all right? So we encourage you to do that. That's what me and my family practice. Uh, first fruits and sacrificial giving. That's the big two things we try to do. And so I want to encourage you to give physically if you're in person in uh, the baskets up front in the back, or you can give at faithchurchvt.com, press the give button, or you can text to give. There's a whole bunch of ways to give. We try to make it easy and convenient for you so that you can give uh, any way you feel like doing so. But we appreciate your generosity. 2022, we're going to wrap up fiscally at the end of this, uh, the end of January. We have a big business meeting and talk about all the crazy things that happened. But it's been a really good year, especially considering all the things that's happened in 2022 uh, via inflation and everything else. It's been a really good year for faith financially, and it's because you guys are super generous. Uh, you're obedient, you're faithful, and it is amazing to see it happen and see how God works through you to make us just efficient, effective, impoundable, to be able to reach people we haven't reached before because of your generosity. So I thank you so much for doing that, and I can't wait to see what 2023 brings for each of us, all right? Speaking of giving, that's what we're going to do today with this special bonus episode. I was debating what in the world we're going to do. Each and every year is a struggle because you're kind of in the middle, right? You get Christmas and then it's not Christmas, but it's kind of New Year, but it's kind of not. It's kind of this weird amorphous thing, right? So what do you talk about? So this week we're going to get a bonus episode of our Characters of Christmas series. Uh, it's a thing we've been doing for the past few weeks where we've talked about all the characters in the story, right? So we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Mary, Joseph, we talked about shepherds and angels, uh, Jesus last week when we gathered around here. That was such an awesome experience for all who were able to come. So many came last week. But this week, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep that thing rolling with another set of characters that were just a little late to the party. And so it's perfect that we'd celebrate them this uh, week instead of any other week. And we're going to talk about the Magi or the wise men. So before we do that, we're going we're gonna to dive into that story, we're going to learn from them, and we're going to see how we can apply some of this from their, from their lives to ours. But before we do, let's jump into some discussion together. We do this weird thing here, we take a break, <laughs> uh, but we're going to take that break and want to encourage you online or in person. We're going to stand up, we're going to have a discussion, grab some coffee, say hi to someone you haven't spoken to yet, uh, get into the, the mode of listening, engaging, and, and doing this together. It's not a passive thing, it's an engaging activity we're doing this morning, and so I want to encourage you to do that with this question. 
What is one of your favorite gifts you've ever given to someone? What's one of your favorite gifts you've ever given to someone? All right, so think of all the things you may have gotten. Now start thinking of all the things you've given away. What was one of the things like, oh man, that was an exceptional gift. I did such a good job on that one, right? Uh, whatever it is. And I want you to ask and answer that of each other. Ask and answer online. And we cannot wait to discuss this together after about five minutes or so once this song is over. All right, so let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back in about five minutes. A lot more time than that, man. Okay. All right, let's do this. Let me uh, get situated. Josh, you may have to adjust the camera. I'm going to sit down again, if you don't mind indulging me. Appreciate that, brother. All right. Rich is ready, I think. We're going to walk around. We got the mic working. We got to unmute it. Yeah, yeah, we have it. Okay. Okay, now we got it. All right. So we're going to talk about this, right? We have a raised hand already. Oh, shoot. Let's go. Go ahead, Chris. It, I don't know if it was the best, but it was just last month I gave Kat a stitch onesie for her birthday. Oh, and nice. in front of the whole family and everything, I completely nailed that gift. <laughs> she was out of her mind, loved it. The other grandmothers were standing there like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I should have said that last time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, I love it. I think it. one of the greatest gifts uh, that I, we've ever given was uh, we just came back from Disney World and we took all the grandkids to see the mm. joy and excitement and uh, the love that they had on that was just incredible. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. That's going to be a hard one to uh, top, right? Goodness gracious. <laughs> all right. Anybody else? What the best thing you've given? Oh, we got so many hands all over. We'll make us the rounds. That's great. It's not a Christmas gift, but and I was thinking about it, and it was uh, the engagement ring that I did for mm. Deanna when I first asked her to marry me. And it was this really fun thing because she kind of had this dream about it. And then I went to an uh, artist jeweler that we knew and created it. And Whoa. Then, like snuck surprise it, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning. To, uh, but that was my favorite because it was really involved. Yeah. And really passionate about it. Nice. You still have it, I hope? Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Who else? Yeah, John up here and then Dawn in the back. Uh, <laughs> I, my uncle was a hunter and he never had a place to keep his guns and he really wanted a gun cabinet mm -hmm. forever. He talked about it. So one year I decided to make him a nice gun cabinet and he got that and he just wept and cried. And oh you, you didn't <laughs> go in his house without him bragging. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Very cool. Anybody else? Dawn's in the back. She's got a few. Anybody online can please, we can talk about those too if we have some up there. Okay, mine is, um, it was the Christmas after my dad had passed away and he had written my mom a note. And so I took that note, a copy of it, and had it engraved on a little pendant. So it was, mm. became a, like a keychain for my mom nice. of my dad saying I love you in his handwriting. Oh, and then, precious. Uh, Miss Jan said she made a large quote for her brother and his wife as a Christmas gift, and they were just so excited to, to get that. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Anybody else? What's something you've given that stands out? Here we go, Leo, up front. Back in uh, 97, I think it was, uh, Janine and I took our uh, entire family uh, to California. Oof. To visit her, the rest of her family. <laughs> and we also went to Disneyland, which was just a bonus. But the, the real gift was was the trip itself. It was an adventure every day. <laughs> and then to finally spend some time with, 
with my in-laws and my sister. Nice. It was awesome. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Yeah. Trip to California. Walt in the back. That's great. This is kind of a cheap <laughs> gift, but it's the one gift I've given that's been used from the day I give it to right up to today. And uh, my and Sharon's first Christmas together, I bought her a microwave steamer. Oh. Okay, yeah, a plastic microwave steamer. It's a, it's a plastic bowl with a, a, a grate in it, and she unwrapped the gift and got it out. And I said, well, where's the cord? Where are you plugging in at? <laughs> and she said, no, you put it in a microwave, dummy. <laughs> but she uses that practically every day. Wow. And she 23 never, years. She never fails when she gets it out saying, this is the greatest gift I ever got. <laughs> How awesome is that? $8.99. Oh, you said it was cheap. All right. Yeah, $9 is pretty good. <laughs> That's awesome. Anybody else? Those are also good. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing those. Uh, Dave and I talked a little bit about this last week or the week before. Some people, I think, are natural gift givers. Maybe you are that way. Anybody here a natural gift giver? Like you're always thinking about others. Yeah, I know Anna is, right? I don't know about anybody else, but I'm sure there are a few of them out there, right? You know, they can see something and you start to think of the person as soon as you see it, like, oh, let me get this for them, right? Others had to work really hard at giving. Uh, and needless to say, I have to work pretty hard <laughs> at giving. Um, but I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how one of those really hard times I worked. And one of those was the Christmas before last. So not just last week, but the week, uh, year before that. And years ago, uh, Jen, my wife, she had lost uh, a ring that I had given her. It was a puzzle ring. You ever see these puzzle rings where they're basically like three rings in one. You kind of had to piece together to make one whole ring, all right? Uh, you had to fit them together like a puzzle. This is why they call puzzle rings, right? And she loved that ring, and she was really sad that it was gone. And for some reason, she was standing at the jewelry cabinet, and she was talking about this ring that she had lost. And, and uh, it had been years. You know how life goes fast, and something as simple as a ring, even well-loved ones, kind of gets lost in the shuffle of some more important things, right? Uh, and, and like I said, I'm not a natural gift giver. So whenever she had lost it up front, even if she told me, I probably wouldn't have thought about replacing it. But when she was standing in that jewelry box and she was talking about that ring, she's like, Kara, I really love that ring. Something struck me. I was like, oh man, that would be a great gift to give her, give her another one of those puzzle rings. And so um, as she was talking about it, I, I was trying to ask these really you know, nondescript questions about how big her fingers were or whatever kind of crazy thing is to figure out how size I'm going to put this, uh, get this ring for, right? And thankfully, again, for someone who doesn't give gifts, sometimes that works in your favor. So when you're asking these questions, she just had no clue that I was going to buy her anything off these questions. She was like, oh, she's, she's really concerned about my ring size for some reason. So she didn't put two and two together. So you might imagine her surprise whenever she opens up on Christmas Day this little box with this beautiful little puzzle ring in it. And she was just overjoyed, man. And she had a smile that just you know, lit up the whole room. It was just really really special. She was just shocked that I was so doggone considerate because I'm normally not. So uh, it, was, it was a great gift. It was an awesome gift. Now, ironically, a few weeks later, guess what happens? Almost. Let's go the opposite direction. She found the other one. That's right. She found the original. Yes, she found the original. Uh, I think there's a lesson in there somewhere. I just haven't quite figured it out yet. Maybe it's about patience. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but a wise man, um, Jesus, once said that it's better to give than to receive. 
And today, in the characters of the Magi or the wise men, we find them doing just that, and we also find something better. We find the reason for their giving. So we're going to talk about that a little bit together today. We're going to jump into the text to do so. So if you look in your Bibles, if you have a hard copy, good for you. If you have a a digital copy on your phone or tablet, you can open that up. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to be Matthew 2, verses 1 through 8 to start, and then we're going to do 9 through 11 in a few minutes here. And we'll jump around to a couple other scriptures as well. But let's kind of set the scene here as we're talking about the, the wise men of the Magi in this Christmas story. If you are with us last week, we read this, but it was amongst the whole story. So maybe you missed it. So I want to dive in a little deeper today. It says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, before we get too far into this, I think it's really important (laughs) to be able to clarify some things, to kind of clear some traditions that kind of get in the way of some facts. Most of us, I believe, have probably grown up with the concept of what? How many you think were there? How many wise men were there? Three, all right? And were they just wise men or were they something else? What do we normally say they were? Kings, right? Nowhere in the text does it say any of that, right? Just to clarify this. So when you're reading your Bible, read critically, all right? Don't just assume, oh, I sung a song about three kings from the Orient, and it must all fit together. It doesn't always work that way, okay? Uh, There's no necessarily three, and they not necessarily were kings, okay? Uh, We do all this all the time. We have these plays where we dress up kids in these costumes, and we have three of them, but it doesn't even say none of that's there, right? Most likely, though, they were probably very notable. They were noble. They were probably wealthy men, probably men of philosophy and science, probably traveling from Persia. The text does say they came from the east. And they probably had this whole entourage of of just servants and supplies, probably numbering in the hundreds. So you're talking about this giant caravan of people traveling uh, these many, many miles through the desert. It wasn't just three little dudes on camels just riding over dunes, all right? This is a big deal. Uh, We see also that not only were there probably background of philosophy and science, but their major emphasis is probably astronomy, all right? They were stargazers, astrologers in the ancient sense. That was common, fairly common in the ancient world. Typically, astrologers or astronomers were a group of of men that were usually uh, seeking after knowledge of the stars. They used constellations, uh, you know, Virgo, all the things and all those constellations, the, the however many there are. They would use the constellations to predict events, sometimes to even interpret dreams. Now, most of them were charlatans. They'd use their, their skills to be able to fool people and to trick them and, and get just money out of that. But there were some who held positions in royal courts with kings and queens, and they would spend their days and nights looking down at ancient texts and looking up at these ancient constellations and trying to piece it all together as signs for these kings and queens they served. Now, in our modern context, astrology is used in things like, what, horoscopes, right? To kind of tell people something about themselves from the heavens, right? But until recently, astronomy and astrology were actually used to tell the plan of God to men, not the other way around. You didn't look to the stars to figure out how your life was going to go. You looked to the stars to see how God had arranged the world and how it was speaking to you, right? 
It was speaking of God's plan of salvation for humanity. And Paul wrote about this in Romans 10, 18. And we're going to have a verse up here for you. He said this, he said, but I ask, have they not heard? And just speaking in general, and anybody who has heard about God, he said, indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. You see what Paul's doing here is he's quoting Psalm 19, which is a psalm written by King David. And he wrote this in full, Psalm 19, 1 through 6. He said that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, there's no words, whose voice is not heard. And here it is. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end, and then nothing is hidden from its heat. So what David and Paul and what these wise men understood was that the constellations tell a story. The stars tell a story. Paul, uh, Psalm 19 actually refers to what some call the gospel in the stars. The constellations, far from being a tool from telling you whether you're bullheaded or not, uh, is actually set in place to speak God's plan of salvation from the very beginning to the very end of time. These magi, these wise men, would be familiar with the constellations. So when they're looking to the stars and they're seeing the different ones, and they're seeing how the stars align, they're saying, oh, something special is happening here. They'd also be familiar with a, um, a Persian story because there was a Jew named Daniel who hundreds of years before had lived in Persia and he was, had a high place in Persian court and he had this uh, tradition that he would have passed down of this Messiah, of this savior king of Israel who was going to come and restore it. That story would have included this prophecy from, from generations ago. It's written down in Numbers and it was actually given by another non-Jewish magi, this is a little Bible fun fact for you, called Balaam. Numbers 24, 17, where he wrote, he said, I see him now. Sorry, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So the, the three wise men, or two, or ten, or a hundred, however many were they were, these wise men are looking up at the stars, they're seeing here, they're remembering the stories of Daniel, they're remembering these prophecies, and they're seeing these signs, and it would have caught their attention. And it would have done so not because they just had this interesting side hobby in ancient cultures <laughs> or stars, but because they're seekers. Digging through ancient texts, looking up at the stars every night was their way of looking for the truth. So they grew up with multiple gods, multiple temples, one to just about everything you could imagine, but they didn't satisfy them. There was this unidentifiable appeal of this Jewish God who spoke promises hundreds of years in advance. And so they had to see this. Is this really going to come to pass? Stars in place, that, that makes sense. That lines up with what the prophecy says, but is the thing we're seeking, is the person we're seeking really there? So when that star appeared, they knew something special was happening, and they couldn't help but follow it. You see, God uses the tools of creation to bring people to faith, to bring a seeker, someone that knows there's more, and is seeking for something more, seeking for those answers to bring that person home. There's such a large part, uh, this whole concept of seeking and, and looking for truth, is such a large part of what we're here to do. This is what Faith Church is really about, being a people who welcome in those who aren't quite sure where they're at in their journey of faith. Maybe you've been there. You ever been there? When you, maybe you've been to a church, maybe you've been out of church for a long time, and you're still like, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm not quite sure about God or where I stand with him or what it really means or who is he or 
all these big pieces, these big life questions that sometimes we avoid. There's sometimes when we start to dig a little deeper and we start to have these questions. And what we want to do here at our church is to be willing to welcome those people in because we're all those people from time to time. And to be able to welcome you in on your journey of faith and, and being able to ask and answer hard questions together. To ask critical questions. And moment by moment being brought closer to the truth together. That's what we're here to do. I want you to think of your own journey, right? how God has used people, maybe circumstances, maybe nature, to kind of draw you into Jesus. There's sometimes big revelations. Maybe you've had dreams or visions. I remember one time, I won't get into great detail on it, but I had it just incredible. It was, it was once in a, well, prayerfully it's not once in a lifetime, but I had a once in a lifetime experience uh, in, in the middle of a church experience one time that was just life altering. And maybe it's not something big. Maybe it's small signs in your life. Maybe it's subtle drawings. Maybe it's things that are too coincidental to be coincidental. You ever lived that way, right? We were thinking, man, this can't just be an accident. It's God drawing you in. You see, we all respond to things differently, right? And God uses what will best reach us to bring us close to him, to the truth of who we are and who he is. What the gospel says is unique among any other belief system out there. It says that the God of the whole universe who puts stars in the place loves you so much that he leverages the entire universe to draw you to him. That's incredible. He draws us in with his love. It doesn't matter if you're important by the world's standards or if you're lowly, if you're close, or if you're far, a million miles away, it doesn't matter. He is drawing each and every one of us home. Now see, the Magi, they see the star. And so they take off with their camels, they attendants, they, they travel hundreds of miles across deserts and oases to arrive at this royal court in Jerusalem, where they presume there's going to be people like themselves looking for these signs of this king that's new coming to be born. And it's just, they're already just seeking after this guy. Like, where is this guy we're seeking for? Who is this king that should be born? So they pour into Jerusalem, which is a big city, but it's probably what, again, caused a stir with all these people from so far off coming in. And I'm sure the crowds will gather and say, who are these people who are coming here with all this expensive money? Are they going to spend it at my, st at my store? Are they going to go see King Herod? What's going on with this, right? And after spending a little bit of time in the city, they are called to the court. And King Herod, King Herod rather, comes up to them and starts asking some, asking some questions. Now, King Herod, he was a feared guy, right? He was a tyrant. He was ruthless. He was a power-hungry puppet of Rome. He leveraged all his contacts and influence in the Roman court to be able to be put in this position in Jerusalem. He had no morals whatsoever. He'd use whatever means he could to be able to hold on to his position. On one hand, he built these huge temples and, and do everything to, to convince his people that he is one of them. And on the other hand, uh, he would kill anybody who believed it was in his way. Even his own wife and kids he murdered because he believed there were threats to his position. And so what you see here is you see these wise men, these noble, notable people coming into this court to see this new king is born. And they come into King Herod and they realize this is not who they're after. But Matthew does a great job here in this narrative of giving us something that's sometimes easy to miss. What's easy to miss here, if you're reading this, is that Matthew's setting up a theme, right? That if you're wealthy, you have these wealthy, rather noble foreign men coming into this town, and a known fact of the time was they operated on their own circles, right? So they're noble, they're coming into nobility. So surely the king they're looking for is Herod, powerful, wealthy, all the things you would think would check all the lists, right? And yet they're not here for him at all. They're here for this newborn, rural, out-of-the-way child, recently born somewhere else, not even in a palace, 
Not someone of wealth, status, and power, but this humble boy born out of the way in this little town called Bethlehem in the countryside. See, Matthew is subtly highlighting the important upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. You see what he did here? Here comes the powerful and noble. They don't come to the powerful and noble. What happens in our culture today? Right? When people come from foreign cultures, or foreign countries, and they are, they're politicians, and they come in and step in, and they go to Washington, D.C., right? They don't come to Pound Vermont, right? Nobody shows up here. This is exactly what would be almost the same equivalent of what would happened here. If someone from a foreign country comes in and says, no, I'm not going to come to Washington, D.C., I'm going to come to Pound Vermont, and I'm going to visit someone there. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Time and time again, you see God crafting this story that the last is made first and the first is made last. Here in Herod, all the power of the region rests, right? He can make or break people without repercussion. He's in control, or so it seems. But yet they don't come to see him. These magi, they aren't there. They traveled hundreds of miles over 40 days for this innocent, seemingly unimportant child. The wealthy and powerful come to worship the poor and lowly. And so Matthew is saying, now who has the power? Who really has the control? It's the infant son of God, born among poor, illiterate people. You see, in our seeking, it's easy to take the earthly power we can see, isn't it? If you're ever seeking, you're having questions about God, and sometimes it's easy to get sidetracked, and sometimes it's really easy to be able to be thrown off course, and we, we find out chasing uh, things that aren't really real, but we think they are, right? Because it's much easier to chase money. It's much easier to chase control over our finances, over our retirement. We, it's much easier to buy a bigger house or, or add on to our own. It's much easier to expand our businesses and hope that that's going to give us more control over our lives or, or maybe attempt to gain political influence or clout. All these things are really attractive. But those things that seem to hold such promise and security really are illusions. Things that become either barriers or traps between us and the real power that comes from heaven. See, this account reminds us of what we should be chasing instead. We shouldn't be racing to the top, as all of us, most all of us do, but instead be racing to the bottom. So Harry meets them, and he sends them to where they, he thinks the child may be so they can secretly kill this new threat to him. But God uses even that situation to place the men where they need to be before the real, true king of all kings. And so the men and their giant entourage, they travel these six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to find what they're seeking. And we read that in Matthew 2, verses 9 through 11. It's going to be up on the screen again for you. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, if rich foreign noblemen and all their animals and attendants had caused a stir in Jerusalem, you can imagine what happened when they showed up in Bethlehem, right? The whole town would have come out and be like, what in the world is going on? Who are these guys? Where are all these camels and horses and robes and tents and things coming from, Right? He's just traveling through these empty dirt streets, and they finally, they see this star settling over this very specific house. Now, Jesus probably, again, we need to look at our context, probably wasn't newborn here. He was at least five to six weeks old, maybe up to two years, depending on how you uh, read the text. 
and Mary and Joseph and Jesus now are just kind of hanging out with the family. All right, they're just chilling out with the extended family in Bethlehem, just hanging out, having a good time, enjoying themselves when they get that knock on the door, right? Now, if you remember the last time somebody knocked on the door, it was shepherds in the middle of the night. <laughs> and that was shocking enough. Like, what in the world are you doing here? It's like 2 a.m., and how do you know we had a baby? That was surprising enough. But now there's something totally different, totally different happening. They open the door, they find this giant crowd of people crowding in, right, hovering in this door, and they see these three very important, wise, noble-looking men coming in, bearing these expensive gifts, and I doubt they were prepared at all to invite them in, but they did so anyway. And to their surprise, and to the surprise of everybody who was watching that day, the whole town, as they would hear the story be recounted, these rich, these powerful men, they do something incredible. The text says they fell down and they worshipped him worshiped him. These proud men of renown, of means and stature, they didn't bow lightly. It didn't even say they bowed before Herod. All right? The one who, who technically by the world standards should have deserved to be bowed towards, they didn't bow when they met him in the palace that day. What it says is they bowed before Jesus. Though they didn't fully understand who Jesus was, they didn't know all the, the story behind it, but they knew that something special was there. The very stars had pointed them there. The Savior of the world, God in flesh, they had finally found the one they were seeking, one worthy of worship. The abandonment of pride, the giving over of themselves to something greater than them. See, when you're seeking your faith and you finally make it to Jesus, here's the thing you have to do. You have to make a choice. You can believe that Jesus was simply a good teacher, right? That the Bible is just another good book among a lot of good books. You could make that a legitimate choice and you could say, all right, great. He's a great moral guy. I really appreciate what he said. The Bible's got some good things in it. Some things I really don't like, really don't agree with, but some good things, right? And you just kind of pick and choose what you like and don't like. You could do that. You can view Jesus as a lunatic, which is another good option because he claimed to be God. And if he wasn't, then he's crazy, all right? So you could claim that you could, you could view him as a lunatic and, and say, well, I'm just going to dismiss that completely. You could determine that he was made up. Maybe he's just another piece of historical fiction. Do you really know that Jesus existed? I don't know. You know, you could look at it that way. Or you can take him at his word that he was who he claimed to be. Whose stars, whose shepherds, who angels and wise men from other parts of the entire world or never met him, recognized him as who he was the one who the whole of Scripture, the inspired and authoritative Word of God, points to the Savior of the world, the King, God in flesh. And if He is that, here's the thing that comes to this, if you're going to believe that, then what it comes to, the only proper response is to worship. It's not to like. You can like Jesus if He's just a good moral teacher, right? But you don't have to worship But when you come to the point of you realizing who he really is, who he claims to be and saying, I believe that, then the only proper response is to worship. Now, worship means more than just singing. It means more than bowing down. What it means is a realignment of your entire life. Now, this is when it gets hard, right? 
This is when it gets really hard because you can come in seeking in faith. You're like, I'm looking at, the, looking at the stars, right? I'm reading the text. I'm looking, I'm doing all the things. I'm finding truth here. I'm coming to the point of Jesus. I'm even working through the belief that maybe he is exactly who he says he is. But now I have to come to the part where I have to worship him. And that means I have to give up everything else and realign my entire life around him instead. That's hard. Because that means giving up the best of yourself. Not some of yourself, the best of yourself. The only, the, the closest equivalent I could possibly give you, and it still falls way short, is marriage. That's the, the closest one I can give you. Because if you legitimately go into a marriage the right way, and you're not going into marriage saying, oh, I hope he or she completes me, because that's not what marriage does. That's a whole other topic. We'll get to that in February, by the way. We'll talk about marriage in detail. Uh, but if you come into marriage knowing that what it's going to require of you is all of you, that if you're going to legitimately be with this person, the Bible says that two become one flesh, that means you give up your identity and you become one with that other person. That's a whole realignment of your life. Whole realignment. Now, Imagine that times a thousand. <laughs> and that's what you've got in Jesus. Worshiping him is a total realignment of your entire life, even, even over your wife or husband, even over your children or mother or father, over everything. That's what makes it so hard. It means giving up the best of us, laying down the things that make us valuable or the things that we find value in. And choosing to do the one thing of true worth, which is worship him. You see, Jesus would say this later on in his life, Matthew 16, 24, 26. I got it up on the screen. Jesus would tell his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Another time in his life he said this, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, the magi, the wise men, they brought these meaningful, they brought these really expensive gifts there have been a few different interpretations on what these are, so I'll just briefly cover one of this just really quick. Most, a, a good amount of people say that gold represents Jesus' kingship, right? Uh, frankincense would represent his deity as it was used in offerings to God, typically. The myrrh would represent death that would await him on the cross. Matter of fact, a little Bible fun fact on that, he was actually offered myrrh on the cross whenever he was getting ready to die as a painkiller. So here it was at the very beginning and also at the very end, just an interesting little thing. But while the meaning of the gifts are important, the larger uh, point here is that worship involves sacrificial giving and humility. You see, the Magi are reminders of that upside-down nature of the kingdom of God and what's truly important, what's truly worthy of worship. It's that God child the one born in poverty amidst sheep and goats, raised by the overlooked and unimportant of society, driven to death by the whips of an impressive empire, pierced for our sins, crucified on the cross, a weak, 
God-man that died seemingly a failure. You see, we may acknowledge that Jesus existed, that he lived and died, but do we, we may even say to some extent, hey, I love him, that he grades a, a, just gives us this awesome example of how to live, but do we actually worship him? Do we dare? Do we risk putting down the 401k, the nice house, the perfect family life that we've dreamed of? And instead see Jesus for who he truly is. And in that moment of recognition, fall down before him as the only thing worthy of our worship in every facet of our lives. Now let me clarify before you answer that question in your life. You see, we bottle up worship and sell it on Spotify, right? We mark it as an experience you're going to find. when Maybe when you come to church, you'll just see or feel something different. But true worship isn't a song, it's not a rite, it's not a motion, it's not a ritual, it's not even liturgy. It's an overflow of a heart that has first been loved to pieces by God. It's a celebration of the coming of grace in flesh. The one who arrived to seek and to save the lost, to heal and to call the sinners to serve the spiritually broken and, and to destroy death, hell, and the grave, to redeem us from the very prisons that we find ourselves in of sin and shame. That's worship. That's a lifestyle. That's a calling. That's a, a joy and a peace that just bleeds out into every facet of our lives. There's no division, you see, in the worship of Jesus. There's no doing the right thing on one day and, and just doing a whole different set of life the other six. It's a seamless explosion of heaven into every facet of your life. That's worship. In our seeking, we come to a decision to follow Jesus. But we also come to a decision to worship him. And the fun fact of that is you just can't do one without the other. You can't say, I follow Jesus, but, and I worship it on Sunday sometimes. That's not how that works. It's all or nothing. I don't have a scripture for this, but Jesus would later say, I wish that you were hot or cold. You're just mediocre. <laughs> I don't want any of us to live this mediocre, half in, half out life. It's all or nothing. Sell it all and choose the one thing of greater worth. Worship the one thing worth worshiping. And don't waste time with anything else. Will we do that today? Now for seekers this morning, those of you who are like these wise men maybe, <clears throat> have looked to the stars, have read books, Maybe you looked at a bunch of other ancient texts. Maybe you looked at a bunch of other uh, Bibles or, or different things and you're, you're seeking after the truth. I and mean, today you've come to a point where you've got to make a decision. One, I pray that you do make that decision. That you made that decision to accept that Christ is the man who said he was. That he was fully God and fully man. That he came to live and die a perfect life that we can't. That he comes to save us from the sins that we all commit. Guess what? We're all broken people. We've all messed up, and if you don't think you have, I'm sorry, but you have. We all have. It's just how it works, right? 
And the only way to come back home, the only way back to the Father, the only way to get to where you're truly looking for is through Jesus. There's no other way. It's not him plus anything else. It's not him minus anything. It's just him and him alone. It's just, just Jesus. That's it. It's grace through faith. And so we want to ask if you make that decision that you're going to follow and worship him today. We're going to pray over that in just a minute. But maybe you're not quite there yet. All right, because I know, again, we talked about this. This church is all about having a bunch of seekers sitting together saying, man, I'm not quite sure about that, but I want to find out some more answers. And you're in the perfect place. This is the place to be. I hope you find it to be that way because I want you to ask questions. The Bible, this church, me, I'm not afraid of hard questions. I want you to ask an answer to those things. Let's do it together. Let's seek these things together. So if you're not ready to make that decision yet, keep asking and answering. Keep being a part of us. Keep sitting around and just eating meals with us or hanging out with us on the weekend. Do whatever. Just gather around us and see what makes us tick. And I pray that you find Jesus of the Bible within us. That what you see when you see us speak, that what you see when you see us act, are perfect people. But we're chasing after this perfect Savior. And we'll continually point you to Him and how he changes everything. So if you're already made that decision, we're going to do that in just a minute. If you're not, continue to sit with us week after week. Next year is going to be great. We're going to launch into this new identity crisis series, discovering who we're really made to be. That's going to give some answers to so many good things there that are going to get wrapped up in this. So don't miss out on that next week. But if you're ready to make that decision, we're going to give you a chance to do that in just a sec. For believers, though, I think it's really easy. Here it is the week after Christmas, right? The week of Christmas... Christmas Day last Sunday was great. And it's really easy to sit around and have those Christmas feels, right? It's like, oh, this is awesome. You feel warm and tingly and everybody's gathered around. It's all so great and it's so perfect. And it's really easy to sing songs about the birth of Christ on Christmas Day. And it's really easy to follow him, right? Whenever things are going good and we're just on this receiving end of grace and you're like, oh man, I'm so blessed. Life is so good. I got all this great stuff going on. Just keep giving me more. I'll take all that you want to give me, Jesus, right? This is the best part, right? But will we worship him when all that's done? Will you worship him the week after Christmas when the credit card bill has come due? Will you worship him whenever you look at that budget and you say, what in the world happened? What did I just do? (laughs) How am I going to get out of this? Will you still say you're blessed then? Will you still worship him then? When it's easier to fall away than to follow, will we continue to worship? When he asks us to give up the very things we can't live without, will we continue to worship? In prayer today, I pray we ask and answer these hard questions in the affirmative that we do, that we realize what we have goes beyond bank accounts and anxiety and depression. It is the one thing of true worth. It's Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer today. For those who are seeking, we want to start with you each and every week that if you're ready to make that decision, and that's whatever it's going to require, at some point it comes to a point of decision. Jesus will call his first disciples and he'd say, follow me. They had to decide in that moment whether they were going to stand up and walk after and, and follow him wherever he went or they were going to say, no, I'm okay. I'm going to stay here where it's nice and comfortable instead. It meant giving up everything they ever wanted to do ever thought for their lives, and been exchanging that for him and what he said they were going to do. That's a big decision. 
but it's one that we all have to make. It's undeniable, it's unavoidable. He puts us in a moment where he says, what are you going to choose? Will you continue to worship the things in your life that have been unfulfilling so far, but you're going to keep giving them try? Or will you trade them all in for something that is of greatest worth? Following and worshiping him. So if you want to do that this morning, you do it by prayer. Prayer is just calling out to God. It's really simple. It's really straightforward. It's really his humble plea. It had to be these exact words because it's not magic. It's not an incantation. It's not anything crazy. It's just you lifting up your heart to God and saying, dear Jesus, first, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry that I've pursued so many other things that I thought were worth my time and attention. God, and they have not proven fruitful. God, they have been a waste of my time. And God, for all the things they've even given me, Lord, has never been enough. Today, I choose you. I choose to lay everything else down and worship you instead. God, may I follow you today and every day. Reshape me to look like you. Now, if that's you and you said that prayer, as all has are still bowed and eyes shut, I want to encourage you online or in person. One, if you're in person, find me before we're done today, all right? This is what we're here for. We're here for life transformation. It's not just a decision to, to pick up one thing in place of another. It is life changing. And so we want to encourage you by coming and connecting with me. We've got a couple of the guys I'd love for you to, to, and gals to come and, and wrap around you in prayer and guide, to help guide you on this next step of what happens after you make this decision. Because the journey doesn't end. It just keeps going and getting better and better. And so I want to encourage you to connect with us. If you're online, like or love a comment we're posting, don't feel like you're missing out there. We want to connect with you there as well. And we want to follow up with you if you made that decision. For believers and everyone else, as we get ready to wrap up, though, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are God above all other gods, Lord, that you are the one who have placed the stars in the sky, God, not so that we could pick them apart and to, and to make them fit our own story, God, but to tell us your story, God, of a virgin bearing a son who would redeem the whole world, God, who would save us from our mess and our sin and our brokenness, God, to save us from all the things, Lord, that we can never get ourselves out of, Lord, to redeem us, to make us whole. God, we praise you, Lord, that you have not left us unseen or unheard or unfound. But God, through Jesus, you have come to seek and save each and every single one of us. Lord, Christmas isn't just about gifts and giving and receiving. It's about the true King of kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who has turned the whole world upside down. And God, I pray, Lord, that our lives are done that way as well. God, that we trade in all the things of this world that seem like is going to give us comfort, peace, and hope, Lord. All the things that provide or seem to provide those things for us, whether it's our own provision, whether it is or our finances, God, whatever it is, I pray that we trade in all those things, God, for you and your kingdom above all. God, that you show us what is of greatest worth, God, that you bring us around others, God, in this church and other believers who, Father, who are living that same way, God, in indifference and defiance to the culture around us, that we're not wrapping up and, and consuming our lives with a bunch of junk, God, but pursuing the one God who gives all good things to us, the one thing of true worth. Lord, may we live that way this week. May this new year in our lives be marked by pursuing the one thing worthy of worship. God, in doing so, 
God, through the good times and the bad, knowing that you are good no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, church, and everyone online especially, thank you so much for being with us online. Like or love this post, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you continue to get the post every single week. And we cannot wait to see you guys as we start our new series, Identity Crisis, Discovering Who You're Really Made to Be, next week. So don't miss out on that, and we'll see you guys next time.